0: Good evening, welcome. I'm Jeff Gilmore, I'm the Chief Creative Officer here at Tribeca. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome you to our special event in collaboration with ESPN on shooting and sports, (coughs) film and sports. The series that we've done this week has been all about really how to bring ideas into film festivals, I think for many years. Film Festivals were very insular events, and there was a very somewhat narrow aesthetic and somewhat narrow level of discussion. There was a criticism of films and ideas about films what we 're here to talk about is how storytelling has affected every universe that we 're in, and particularly that universe of sports, which is even a couple of years ago was an arena, as I was just talking with Connor Shell about, in which what passed for sports journalism and what passed for storytelling in sports was limited, let me just put it that way. It wasn't exactly something that you wrote home about. And the gentlemen that we have on our panel with us tonight are two of the people that have changed our industry in sports and storytelling. Connor Shell, who's the executive producer for ESPN Films and Original Content, I think more than anyone practically is single-handedly responsible for bringing storytelling and documentary film together in a way that no one could have achieved with the quality that he did, and he's just to be congratulated, Connor Shell. And a writer, producer, director, storytelling, Peter Berg has made feature films, he's done work on HBO, he's done work on network television, he's done Friday Night Lights, he's State of the Game films from Hancock to Lone Survivor. He's a storyteller. He's someone who thinks about a lot of different things. You can tell it in his work, and I think he's got a lot to say about his role in literally changing what audiences start to look for in terms of sports and storytelling for a mass audience. Great pleasure, Peter Burke. And lastly, but, cert- and lastly, but certainly not least, we have with us to moderate and lead the discussion is a pulitzer prize pulitzer prize winning journalist wesley morris someone who's a someone who's a critic but also someone who knows sports believe me that's a rare combination with great pleasure our panel with wesley morris thank you guys
1: thanks for coming oh this works to um, I figured it'd be useful to start with a question that you both could answer, but probably in different ways. Um, I was thinking in, in in preparing to talk to you guys together uh, about these sort of benchmark moments, sort of the modern benchmark moments, in, since maybe like the 1970s um in terms of of sports and entertainment, um, particularly in movies. Uh, and what they what they may or may not be. I was thinking of Rocky in '76. Um, I'm not sure what exactly the lasting benchmark of Caddyshack is, but but it's but it's permanent and it's the people who love it love it. Um, Hoop Dreams uh, in 1994, and then I would say Friday Night Lights uh, in 2006. 2000, 2006, right? Um, and Friday Night Lights is interesting because it seems... It, it's, it's cultural impact and, and the, the degree to which people love it is, is, is intense. Um, and I'm sort of wondering, from Peter's end, how it changed his relationship. I mean, presumably you liked sports before you did this. In, in football. Um, but it also seems to have changed the, the entertainment industry's interest in stories about sports, um, which I'm imagining, Connor, uh, changes your life. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm assuming that on a day to day basis, the two movies you probably hear fairly frequently about are Friday Night Lights, either the, the show or the movie, um, or perhaps the book. Uh, and hoop dreams. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, and how you want to move beyond that in some ways, but also how you want to sort of build on what those what those movies have done in terms of the public's interest in in stories about sports-related material, and how what you're looking for beyond sports per se. Let me just start with Peter.
2: I thought Caddyshack was a really great film. <laughs> I think that Bill Murray's strategy in <clears throat> fighting uh, gophers was emotional and funny and heartfelt and passionate. And, um, what was it? I don't understand the question. Basically, how did Friday Night Lights change oh, right. okay.
1: uh, your, not um, your career, but I mean professionally in terms of how...
2: Yeah, I entertainment think, uh, industry people related. You know, um, uh, Buzz Bissinger wrote, wrote "Friday Night Lights" the book, and and uh, he he did uh, I think an extraordinary job of taking the sport genre, and you know he wrote it, but he was a very passionate sports fan, and it was written a lot about sports. But he when he went down to Texas and <clears throat> lived in that community of Odessa, Texas, in uh, West Texas, it's a very you know sort of a mecca, football mecca. He very quickly saw the, the 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 seam the connection of the the stitching that linked the sport with the with the culture very in a very sociological way and how how the families were connected, the schools were connected, the churches were connected, and there was no divorcing the, the sport from the from the soul of that community. And that was the profound uh, sort of takeaway of that book. And when we did the film, we just tried to kind of capture that. You know, I went and lived uh, in that community like he did for a year, and spent quite a bit of time with a local football team, and I, I felt that connection. Um, and I think that what Friday Night Lights you know, was able to do was present that connection to an audience so that the experience of watching that film, whether you were a football fan or a sports fan or not, was something that felt profoundly emotional. So when the movie came out, people were like, "Whoa, how, why am I crying, or why do I want to hug my my child, and why do I love my wife a little bit more today than than I did yesterday?" And and uh, <clears throat> so, for me, the expectation from the community or the, the kind of the game-changing experience was, "Well, you know, um, this these people, because it wasn't just me. I was, you know, part of a team, and I credit." Buzz Bissinger with with much of it, but the cinematographer, the editor, the producers—we all, all of a sudden were like, "Well, these guys know how to do sports in a way that feel like it's it's more than sports." Um, and that's when you know the guys like you know uh, Connor and Bill came calling about 30 for 30s, and I started getting a lot of offers. And people kind of saying, you know, "Is there a way to bridge that gap between you know a- athletic?" Uh, competition and real genuine human emotion. that was that, That's yeah. great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'll start at the beginning of, of where you said, which is to say that, that I think that Buzz's book, Friday Night Lights, is, you know, I mean, I think that and hoop dreams are sort of ground zero for, for what we do. Um, um, you know, I always say, you know, as a, just a talking point, like we tell stories about culture, and <clears> sports <throat> is your window in. And I mean, you know, I, I would struggle to think of, of something that did that better than the book Friday Night Lights. Um, uh, when we embarked on 30 for 30, I'm not sure if Peter was was our first call, but but he was he was one of the first people we reached out to and, and that was a lot because you know when we thought about the groups of of directors we wanted to be in business with and reach out to it it was the ones who had made the seminal sports movies of of the last uh, couple decades and and that was you know Barry Levinson and and Peter and and Ron Shelton um you know along with a group of documentarians um which included Steve James so yeah. you know I I um you know hoop dreams we can talk about as well but, but um, I, I, I just think that, that what Peter and Buzz were able to do in Friday Night Lights through that journey from book to movie to TV show was, was exactly what we aspire to do in, in storytelling no matter what the form
1: so I'm wondering um, because the thing that I think makes Friday Night Lights different from other sports related movies and I was also I mean, Hoosiers is another good example too where you have, where place is so much an aspect of what the story also is, in, in, the, in the ways in which sports is part of a community, but, but in many ways inextricable from it. Um, and one of the things that infrequently happens in movies about sports related movies is that you don't really have, the place isn't really as important, the, the, the nature of the characters, and their relationships aren't as important. You have a coach, and you have a team. And this was really about the environment. And, and Hoop Dreams is another movie where you know, Chicago was so much a part of, 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 of those guys' story. Um, and the mainstream American movies aren't really, <laughs> they are disincentivized from being too specific about much of anything, lest you lose an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, But you are going in in the opposite direction and trying to be as specific as you possibly can about a place and bringing it to life. I mean, you both—I mean, Friday Night Lights and also State of Play, the the documentary series that you um, have—are trying to do the exact opposite, which is to focus on stories as opposed to making an audience feel good, which I think
2: is is a different kind of sports movie. I mean, I, um, you know, I've done films. I've done kind of two, two kinds of films, and, and I've done, uh, when, I, when, um, when I did um, Friday Night Lights, or I did The Kingdom, or, or uh, Lone Survivor, um, and certainly the documentary films, th- th- that's a very specific type of, of film to me, and, and I, I studied um, journalism in college, in, in addition to theater, and um, you know, Buzz Bissinger is my cousin. and was my hero. He was a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and a wonderful investigative journalist. And I was. Um, my college had a great uh, cultural anthropology department McAllister College. Not, not a great school, but had a great. At the time, it's a much better school now. My
1: friend's son's about to go. Oh, it's and, a better
2: you know. school. It's a better school now than it was. Well, I don't think I could get in now, but it um, had this great cultural anthropology department and and those were fun classes, and we would go um, take courses in uh, bus room soci- a bus stop sociology where you would have to go and study the behavior, behavior of a bus stop for two weeks and, and all the different patterns of behavior and the, the rituals that were um, you know, unconsciously subscribed to by everyone there, and suddenly you take a, an environment that you think is kind of benign and flat and realize that it's infused with all this ritual, and I, I was always attracted to that, and so, for you know, for the most part, um, I would say okay. Battleship and Hancock, those are two different films. they are <laughs> a little bit different. We could talk about <laughs> that uh, later. But um uh you know my heart and, and why I love you know getting get doing things like the thirty for thirty or something other like it it gives me a chance to go deep into a culture. And I think if you go deep into that culture, um you're gonna succeed or it's, it, it, and you tell the truth and you find the truth and you tell it. You know, and I was making um, Friday Night Lights, I remember them, I was very nervous. The most nervous I was after we finished the film was a screening we did for the Trojans and Pete Carroll. Because I knew I wanted to see how those guys would react to the film and I knew when the lights come up came up in that screening and I'd look at those you know 21 year old football players and Pete Carroll and his coaching staff I would look them in the eye and it would be instant there would be no bullshit there'd be no you know you know glad handing or Hollywood speak it would just be like yes no or you know what that was that was right and and that was that was what I was you know aspiring for and think when, when you approach it with that kind of desire to find the truth everything else kind of falls into
3: place. Connor? I mean this is a quite mostly a question about about storytelling. And... Well so so I mean the you know I think a real tenant of 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 what you know w- what we try and do um, w- within the genre of 30 for 30 and 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 you know and and in other forms as well is is you know, we're not looking to to tell survey stories. Like we're we're not looking to sort of be very um, um, shallow, right? It, it, it's it's sort of like our, our philosophy is always find the moment and, and and drill deep down into it. And so so that can be about culture. That can be about character. It can be about time and place. Um, but we're always looking to to sort of get very specific and 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 take that sort of little sliver of this journey, and and by trying to go as deep into that as you can, you're hopefully exposing this larger truth. You don't need to, you know, I, part of that is giving your audience a lot of credit, that they're going to understand what you're saying without sort of having to sit there and have someone say it. Um, you know, that, that's not always perfect. It doesn't always work. But we always start with that premise of, of you, you know, the, 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 the doc we made with, with Pete about Wayne Gretzky was was not this is the greatest hockey player of all time, let us tell you 25 years of, of, of his history. It was, let's talk about this moment the when trade. he was traded. Yeah, that's and if we me. look at that from every single angle, you will completely understand who this guy was, what he meant to the sport, and what he meant to the community in Edmonton um, um, and, yeah, and, and, and the future of the NHL without yeah, you ever having yeah. to explain any of that. Um, and, and and that's I think when you do that right, that's a that's a dynamic that at least for us really works. You guys were so smart to 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 say like for, with me, I
2: mean, you, they they pitched me the idea of the Gretzky trade. So they came to me and you know, I was like, what do you want to do? And that's such a you know an unanswerable question when there's really no... these guys are we'll give you, we'll let you do pretty much anything you want. We'll give you a good budget, anything in sports. And it was so. Vast, that it was hard for me to get my head around it. And then they, they came to me with what about, they knew I loved Gretzky and that I was in LA when the trade, that what about that week of the trade? And just really analyze that and go deep into that. And that, um, that was right up my alley, you know, because that I could get my head around and I knew we could go very, very deep into a very, you know, finite period of time. Um, and I remember the deeper we went into it, there was one kind of, and you talk about like, in th- the 30 for 30s, you get that kind of wow moment. There's that mm-hmm. moment. And, like, with the Gretzky thing, I had this plan to play golf with Wayne. And we are going to just play 18 holes of golf and during the course of the, you know, just talk about, about his life. And, and so we met at the driving range and we started talking at the range. And immediately the conversation got so intense, we never left the range. But, like, I never realized it, you know, from and as we started talking more and more, he talked about the, I think it was five Stanley Cups that won. It was either five or six at Edmonton. And they broke that team up. And he won and
3: four and said he would win.
2: What yeah, and, 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 and then they broke the team up, and he came to L.A., and he won zero. And I never really thought about it. I'm like, well, because you, you, know, you have Marc Messier and Grant Furon, he's was young I'm like, well, how many do you think you would have won if you'd stayed at Edmonton? He then not to said 11.
4: Mm.
2: I said, well, d- do you think about that a lot? He goes, every day, every day. And that tear just came out of his eye. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, this is really awesome. And, and it was this <laughs> great moment that Gretzky was crying. And, I, and it was because they gave me a simple idea, and we could go deep into it. But if you
3: do that, back to what I think you're, in your original question, if you do that really well, then you have to take people back into that moment and set the time and the place and talk about the culture around them. Um, so why do movies go the
1: opposite direction, then, generally? I mean, why do movies sort of start, at, well, they don't even go very specifically in. They just remain pretty generic in terms of what they think an audience can handle. And, you know, that the Rocky model, I think, is the, is the sort of, that's the paradigm through which a lot of sports movies, regardless of what the sport is, yeah. follow.
2: I mean, I think that, you know, why are so many movies horrible? I mean, that's the bigger question. <laughs> like, like movies, but these sports movies are bad But we're not any more away. worse than all the other movies that suck. You know, I mean, there's some really bad movies. And inherently, um, it, you know, I, my, my, everyone has an opinion, but it's, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in a, an environment where an idea gets generated, we're going to make a film about... So, someone comes up with the idea, we want to, you know, pick it. We want to make a film about... I think the those the, the seventy two dolphins that went undefeated i 'm just literally making this up now some someone has an idea he then has a he takes it to the studio executive who buys it and he wants to put his imprint on it and gets kicked up to their boss and they don 't put their imprint on it so now it 's three diluted ideas all kind of hovering around something that was pretty good mm. and then they go and they hire a writer and they bring some poor bastard in there who's you know, lucky to have a job and he'll say anything and he puts a little of his mark on it and gets down four people and they bring a director in who's just, you know, kind of like circling four or five different jobs and he comes in and then he messes it up some more and they fire the writer and bring another one in and now it's a, a complete mess and then they get a movie star who wants to kind of stomp and before you know it, nobody's got any real blood in the game, you know, and I think... Um, when, when you can hold people accountable, you know, um, like I had blood, blood in the game uh, on Friday Night Lights. so I went and lived in that community and, you know, took, took it on. Um, I think you have a better chance of having a, a more pure experience.
1: It also sounds like you did more than that. I mean, everything you just described about why movies go bad, you seem to avoid it. You wrote the script, Yeah. you lived in that town in Texas. Yeah you didn't cast any stars, really. I mean, no huge stars that would come in and say, well, Peter, really? Yeah. (laughs) I have some demands.
2: Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it was... I felt like... um, Like, it was the same thing that I did for um, Lone Survivor, which, you know, there were groups of films about real people and you know, obviously in Lone Survivor, 19 Navy SEALs were killed and those SEALs all had mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and the Navy SEAL community, very judgmental, just like the Texas football community is extremely judgmental and if you get it wrong and, you know, you have run into Mac Brown at a, a, a local barbecue, who's going to tell you? And my feeling was, well, if, if I could uh, do the research and live in that culture and be as smart about it as I possibly could. So nobody could walk up to me and say, well, you, you got that wrong. Or, you don't understand, um, you know, cover three defense. You don't know what a the band looks like at a high school playoff game. If I, if I knew as much as I could, I would be, I'd be able to defend myself against the, the attempts to dilute the story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to, you know, if, if, you, try make, if you make yourself as, as smart as you can, at least smart enough to know when you, you know, say, okay, look, I don't, I don't know this. Could you help me? And they respect you because they know you've done as much work as you can to understand all the rest of it. It makes it easier to hold on to that control. It makes you more bulletproof.
3: And, and I'll, I'll just take that from a, a little bit of a different angle, which is to say that uh, you know, in the sports world generally... You, we can pick the date, and we can, you know, but in in sort of media post nineteen ninety, maybe it's nineteen eighty eight. Like mm-hmm. everything is documented; it all exists, right? Um, um, so, I mean, I'm a huge believer, obviously, in in the nonfiction form, but but recreating sports action is really difficult. There's sports fans have a definite sense mm-hmm. of perspective. Like you're you're not going to go make a movie about. He picked the 77 Brett Favre, yeah. and, and, and um, have sports fans walk into that movie without a, you know, a full set of preconceived notions of how you need to tell the story, what it will be, what the actor needs to look like, what the action on the field needs to be. So when, when you're telling a true life story and, and all the material has been documented, um, why not tell it in the nonfiction way? Why not tell it as a documentary and, and let people relive the experience, but but give them context and perspective, and and make them think about it in a different way. I mean, I think that is when storytelling is it's, it's sort of at its most powerful, rather than just say, okay, well, we're going to recreate exactly what happened with actors and action and you know go.
1: So I'm curious about what your day to day life is like, Connor, in terms of. Uh, getting these movies produced. I mean, we sit in the same, you know, we sit relatively near each other at work. Um, And so the other day I saw these people come in and, like, there was a little bit of commotion. I'm still not sure. I now know who it was that was was the subject of much, I think, consternation. I can't quite tell. Um, I'll, I'll tell you after specifically who I remember it to be. But it was one of those things where I thought, oh, yeah, People, I mean, I know people come in all the time, and they're like, "I want to do a thirty for 30, because I'm ex-famous person, and I saw other ex-famous. Peter Berg did one.
2: Right. Why can't I? And they so say that to me, they tell me, "I want to do a thirty for 30, Like i I'm, talk to Connor. I can't imagine. It must be horrible. It must. No, they, everyone I, wants. There, to do there are people
1: for I haven't told you this, but but. Your, one of your... Dan Silver, who you work with <laughs> and we're friends with, knows this. There are actors... I, re- I spent a week with an actor who only wanted to talk to me about why his 30 for 30 proposal got rejected. Yeah. And that's what it's like. You get, you'd be shocked to know who is like, trying to get these movies made. And the, the question that I'm really interested in, since this has become... This began as a real tribute to both sports... To, to both to sports and storytelling and documentary filmmaking. Right. And it began as that, and now it's a, what I would consider a phenomenon. And as with all phenomena, people, uh, you know, they want to get on the bandwagon. What is the thing that... What do people most misunderstand about how to make these movies that they, I think, presume might be easy? So, so... Or that they're gonna, you're going to hold their hand through it?
3: It's a lot there. Um. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I, I think, first of all, what, what you're saying, it, I, I would argue, is much more a tribute to people's passion for sports than it is passion for 30 for 30 or sports storytelling. I mean, when when people connect with sports, they they, they, they tend to do it from a very young age. It, it tends to be, a, you know, sports are inherently sort of conservative institutions. They don't change over time. So So... You, you have these feelings for the New York Yankees or the Dallas Cowboys or the kansas city chiefs and the, and they stay with you forever and and you you can set you know place and time in your life to emotions you felt reacting to something that happened and 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 so you know when when we talk to sports fans it it it's and we give them the opportunity as 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 we initially started with with peter it to to make a movie about a story that they care about or something that they've thought about if you're a sports fan that can be an incredibly compelling proposition but there has to be a story and and the person making it has to care about it and they have to want to do it and and it's a lot of work um and and i tend to think that that can be um that can be figured out pretty quickly in a conversation. You you, you have a, a a five minute conversation with Peter. You understand that that when he does work, it's stuff that he cares about. It's not a hey, let me put my name on something. And and you know, it, so if you connect with someone and they have a story to tell, then that's the basis of a conversation. That conversation can. You know, if, if if you're smart about it and 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 you really talk to them and you do a really a lot of the work up front, that conversation can go a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but but I think you then have to be, um, um, you know, you, Dan and I will talk a lot about the idea of of it's it's you know it ends up becoming maybe more important what you say no to than what you sort of say yes to, right? It's when when you can create something that people have an affinity for and a a level of quality in your brand, you really can't, you know, you have to be really diligent about trying not to compromise that and saying, okay, well, we're just going to do this because someone asked us to or wants to. You have to really connect with the story and, and understand you know, we, we make movies. We, Peter and I were talking before this about he's, he's making a series of documentaries for HBO that are verite films, and, and that's an entirely different animal than, than what we're doing in 30 for 30. We're making movies where there stories with a beginning, middle, and end, and, and we know the ending before we begin. right? They're, they're, you, you hope that, that there's a reveal of moments or story points or emotion along the way, but, but we fundamentally know where they're going. Right. Um, and, and that's a much easier conversation to have than... Then well we're gonna go spend time with parents of kids who you know who are crazy about their kids' potential athletic careers. And, Insane,
1: actually, <laughs> and, right? And,
3: and and hope that we get material that we can piece together to to really tell a narrative. That you know so so that that inherently makes our development conversations a, a lot easier. Mm-hmm.
2: The only reason we do it that way is we couldn't get HBO to say yes because of 30 for 30. So we had to come up with some incredibly preposterous pitch where we could say we'll be different from 30 for 30 because we're going to be verte and we're going to just see what happens. We secretly set up all that stuff in advance.
1: Well, I mean, but to your... uh, But, I mean, you're sort of making fun of this in some ways, but you actually are a filmmaker. Yeah. And I think that you are in a small camp of people who I mean the thing that I was most impressed about with Friday Night Lights was just how it looked. I mean it was you it's one of the few sports movies to treat sports, small towns, the the entire sort of cultural dynamic of of football cinematically.
3: And and talk I mean the talking about how Friday Night Lights looked, the, the look of the television show, I think now People don't remember how revolutionary yep. the style that that they put in place on 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 that show, where they shot it with. I mean, you should talk about that, not me. But but it it, it was almost a nonfiction aesthetic. Um,
2: I mean, and that that was that the style we we started that uh, for the most part on the film, and it was it was kind of to to what you're saying that you know, we knew we couldn't the the, the the trying to stage football, and and bring you know cameras onto the field and come up with unique angles we were talking at dinner about how fundamentally people are used to watching sports in a certain way and if you <laughs> mount cameras to the helmets of players and take them in it it, it automatically triggers a, a, a kind of a bs call i think and you know the the uh, you're, you you lose the, the the verisimilitude right the reality the truth of it and so my approach was, if we're, if we're, let's keep it real, as real as we can. And that created a, a handheld style of filming and a very improvisational style. And we we used all NFL cameramen, you know, Steve Sable's guys, to um, film the football because they had such an inherent eye for, you know, on, and we looked at all uh, the editor, Colby Parker Jr. and I looked at the, um, uh, you know, tons of old NFL film, films footage, which was, you know... Such a huge part of my life, watching NFL films, um, and it was our desire to to try and make it feel as authentic as possible. And that was from the wardrobe to the way we shot, to the letting the actors improvise and not not try to to, to do re- recreate something kind of moment for moment in a Hollywood way. And That gave birth to the show. And the cool thing is, it was very fast, so we were able to shoot it very quickly like like in three days sometimes, what most TV shows would spend nine days doing. So we, we were cheaper. So when the ratings were struggling, we were, we were able to do it for so cheap that we were able to stay on.
1: Um, were you surprised by the, sort of the passion for for the whole thing? Because I talked to Buzz Bissinger about... I mean, if you don't know Buzz Bissinger, he's very cool. I mean, he's beyond cool. He, he doesn't... You know, he he'll say, "Ah, of course, it's a great book, and it's not a surprise at all." But um, it's kind of surprising this this the the passion for the show, especially among people who who would say they they aren't sports
2: fans. Yeah. Well, I mean, the show. We, yeah, I mean, we we were surprised that when when the show started to kind of catch, and um, we realized that there were a lot more people watching it than. The, was being reported, you know, on on Thursday nights or Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights or wherever, you know, we were being moved to constantly. But we realized something was catching on. You know, I could tell when I would, you know, go to get gas or go to an airport and get on a plane. The intensity that people wanted to talk about the show, and it became very apparent that, and this goes, you know, back to the the first thing we're talking about. Well, how why they, when these things work, they have very little to do with sport, and yeah. it was really about you know i mean it's pretty profound you know people come up to you and say you know this this show saved my marriage you know and or or you know we finally figured out how to talk to our daughter about sex or drugs or um you know whatever whatever the issue was and and that that schools were using it to talk about racism and they were showing it at you know ivy league colleges to, as a, a a sociological tool to get into and and it was it was mind-blowing for us all, and I have to give, you know, Buzz Bissinger the credit, you know, it it started with an extraordinary piece of source material that had this energy, you know, and that's why we did the TV show, because after the film, you know, a a two-hour film, we felt like there was so much more in that book, and we, and, you know, Jason Kadams, who really did most of the writing on that show, um, and I felt there was something there, and, and I, it, 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 it starts for, it, with Friday Night Lights with that book.
1: So we're going to turn it over to questions in a second. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask, uh, along the lines of what we've been talking about, I was thinking about the movies, movies that I love a lot that happen to have sports in them, and you know what I love about them. And I was thinking about things like Fat City, um, this great boxing movie that John Huston made. Um, in the early nineteen seventies, um, which have you guys seen that? I've Fat got... City people, it's no, it's great. You fa- Fat City, anybody? <laughs> it's it's Jeff Jeff Bridges and Stacy Keach. Went to Yale. It's it's <laughs> great, um, the best boxing movie ever made. Great White Hope. Uh, you well, this brings me to my other question, which is one of the one of the other great boxing movies. I want to talk about Ron Shelton, um, and why and how unique he is in terms of what we're talking about and just in terms of the entertainment industry. This is a guy who the bulk of his career was devoted to really great sports storytelling and, and sports comedies. Um, he wrote a couple really good sports dramas, uh, Blue Chips, for instance. Um, and what... It, I mean, you've worked with him. Uh, what what does he do that... that, that very few other people seem to do. This is uh, Ron Shelton who made Tin Cup and Bull Durham. Bull Durham, yeah. He wrote... Uh, um,
3: White
1: Men Can't Shop. He, d- he wrote and directed White Men Can't jump. Um,
2: What What is it about him that... that well, I think he gets, so, he gets what we're talking about. He, he loves sports and, and is able to look at it. Uh, he, he's... he's I've seen him at so many boxing matches still, you know, he's, he's a guy like, kind of reminds me of um, Norman Mailer, you know, mm-hmm. he's like a reinvention of Norman Mailer, who, did you ever read that book, The Fight, about, uh, which a great book yes. about the uh, Foreman-Ali mm-hmm. fight, uh, and, and he, because George Foreman hurt his hand, and so they, they had to suspend the fight for a month. And they had to all stay in Africa for an extra month, and it was Norman Mailer and Hunter Thompson and Muhammad Ali, all like in a little hut, <laughs> like. And then, and uh, you know, he wrote. a great book, The Fight. And if everyone get has free reading time, I recommend it. But uh, I think Shelton just got it. You know, he had real passion for sport, real passion for humanity, and was able to 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 build that bridge. Are you a Ron Shelton person, Connor?
3: I am. I mean, the, those, the, <laughs> the movies that, that, that you reference are, are sort of, like, I always feel like, you know, as, as Hollywood has made less and less sports movies, I always think of that as, as, as you know, a shame because the movies that, that I grew up with, that I view as sort of iconic films that, that sort of I, I watched over and over again, were all sports movies, right? Field of Dreams, The Natural, um, you know, Into Bull Durham, and, and, and Ron's Movies. Um, and I think you know to, to sort of in a different way, he he hit upon a, a lot of the things that, that 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 Peter did well, which is you know he creates these worlds, right? the, the um, um, Bull Durham is a movie about baseball, but it's really about a minor league team and a small town community and, and the characters within it, right? And and um, you know, so I, I think while there's sort of a a, a, a different. Um, sensibility to it. It, it. It's the same concept,
1: right? I also, I mean, think that one of the great things about him is that he made sports movies about sports men play, but women were as much a part of the of the narrative and of the characters' sort of mm-hmm. inner lives as as more than any movie I can think of, um, where they were as integral to the to the environment of the filmmaking too. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I, I think that a lot of people responded to Friday Night Lights was that, you know, Tammy Taylor was, you know, as much of... She was the other major character yeah. on the show.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was a great kind of accidental discovery about Friday Night Lights is, you know, um, we're, uh, I had lunch with uh, um, Jeff Zucker today, who at the time was, was the president of, of uh, NBC, and and. You know, When it first came out and the NBC looked at, you know, we got this show for kids about football and, you know, they sold Taylor Kitsch with his shirt off holding a football (laughs) helmet with his hair and they oiled him up and we were like, I don't know, it doesn't feel, but they're like, trust us, we know how to sell these things. And and, and, and Taylor's like, they got a wind machine on me and they're taking pictures and I don't, this just feels horrible, like, you look like Fabio, you know, remember the the book covers? Or Beyonce. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Just say it. Yeah, and, uh, well, and, uh, and then after like a month of four episodes, people realized it was actually so bad a marriage. Right. And that it was this kind of, you know, it felt like a, a realistic, achievable marriage that people could relate to that was, you know, flawed and full of challenges, but at the end of the day, um, these two people had formed this team and this pack to take care of each other and to look out for each other and to literally have each other's back. And it felt like we did it just enough so that it didn't feel like, you know, um, saccharinated, you know, BS. It felt real. And, um, and at the end of the day, that's, you know, I always said it, right now, that's a really show about a marriage more than anything else.
1: So there's a mic that's going to get passed around. I don't, there it is. We have two people with mics. So just raise your hand, and um, they'll find you.
4: Hi. OK, so my question, I know, Connor, you were saying that for a lot of people, sports um, kind of stays the same. And those feelings carry with them forever. So what were your guys' like, first sports moments that really made you realize that you love sports and you want to tell sports stories?
2: Well, Brian song um, for me. Which I just watched with my son, who's 14, about three months ago, and I, I really think it holds up. I mean, that was that was the first time I ever had huge tears and snot bubbles, and you know, uh, and and that was for me very you know clear film I watched. I cried, and I felt the power of sports and
3: film. Yeah, and and I mean, I guess I I would say the the the, the movie that I watched that really uh, um, made an impact was Hoop Dreams. I mean that that was to me like like uh, it, it's hard to I think it's hard to remember now sort of how revolutionary that movie was because I think when 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 things really reinvent a genre and then they do it or, or, or invent a genre and then they do it so well that everybody copies it. Like, it, it's hard to take yourself back to the time and place where you're sort of like, oh, okay, I've never seen anything like this, where there's real people telling real stories that, that kind of... Uh, um, so I think that movie w- was one that... that uh, when did I... 1993 1994 that came out? I, remember, I mean, I remember the feeling I had coming out of that. Um, you know, in, the, in the, the narrative world, it was probably f- Field of Dreams.
2: There's also a play, a uh, football play, The Immaculate Reception... Uh, did, you guys, I know Franco Harris and Immaculate? Right? If you don't know that go YouTube that when you get home. But that was the most shocked I've ever been in a, where you know this incra- crazy last-second victory, literally a ball snatched from the ground, and that was a, a moment when I remember just screaming at the television like a lunatic, you know. And that that was a <laughs> profound moment. <laughs> Um, hello.
1: First I just want to say I think uh, Friday Night Lights, the show, is a groundbreaking um, show and definitely touched my heart. Um, but speaking of groundbreaking, I know that uh, Netflix uh, with uh, House of Cards, they gave them a two-year deal. My question to you is do you think that we've seen the death of the, that we're going to see the death of the pilot and then what other sort of Changes do you see in terms of um, disruptive technology and how it's going to affect the? What's the biggest
2: change as far as the TV business and will there still be a revenue stream and whatnot? Um, yeah, I, th- I think there will, there will, there will still be a revenue stream uh, o- always. I, I, I would hope so. I'll Just because I want there to be one, I'll say there will be one. But I think that, um, uh, what 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 I see and you know. I, This is my my perception that, you know, it's getting much harder to get real showrunners, legitimate, you know, guys like Vince Gilligan, the the really talented guys are not, you're going to be much, if, if you're NBC or a network and you've got commercials and you're asking for a 22 episode season and you want, you know, that's, you're asking for someone's blood. And you're you're maybe promising more money, but the talented filmmakers and creators of television are going to go to the Netflix. They're going to go to the pay services. They're going to go to you know, um, Xbox's funding shows now, and I mean, whatever whatever distribution platform exists in that in the moment. You know, I'm sure iPhone will be funding its own shows soon, and or Apple will. Um, they will. And you know, if 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 you're a talented writer you, you know it's reasonable to do 12 and not have commercials and be able to have the freedom of you know like what, what house of cards does it shooting them all and giving people the binge experience which i personally love um, you know, it's awesome, right? I, I was up for two days watching the last season of House of Cards, right? I wish you called me. I was like, I need to talk to somebody. We all made out with the Secret Service agent, and like, I was like, oh, my God. I was alone, like an animal at 4 in the morning, <laughs> like, like, yeah, and no one to call. Yeah, it's horrible. Life's but it's fun. <laughs> you can't com- They can't compete with that. And how's How's NBC gonna offer you that experience? So, so, so the best experience will win, and someone will figure out a way of paying for it. Yeah, yeah, going right? Yeah, I was, yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, I was gonna it. ask. Do you think that like there's a way? Like,
1: would that model, with the Netflix model, have been appealing to you? if it had been presented to you initially when that show was headed to NBC? Yeah, well, you know,
2: yeah, for sure. I think in in Friday Night Lights, this is my, like, distorted memory of how I choose to remember things, but if you really think about it, all the Netflix and all these new deals and stuff, really, Friday Night Lights was the first one in these kind of unique deals because we were about to get canceled, and uh, Eric uh, uh, Shank, Shanks, Who's now the head of the Fox. Fox, he was Fo- at Direc-TV. who was the head of DirecTV. And Ben Silverman, who was the head of NBC, made this crazy deal where DirecTV paid, it was the first time a show, DirecTV bought Friday Night Lights and paid for half the budget and kept us alive. Um, and, you know, if we had just gone <laughs> to DirecTV and we would have had, you know, no commercials. And, like, one of the things I'm most proud of Friday Night Lights is we did that with commercials. Yeah. You know, we dealt with, we couldn't say, bad words we couldn't have nudity we had to like really tuck it in you know and and have commercials which are just like you know if, if you're a filmmaker and you, you know something right in the middle of something really and you know right in the middle of the kevin and robin making out with the secret service guy they're going to commercial i could have used a commercial with that well, I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry like, you know so yeah it would have been great
4: One of the things that impressed me so much is, I'm, I'm also a sports hound, is that the very, the very nature of it, you tell such great stories in a documentary and yet tell something new. For me, The Two Escobars is a perfect example. And it really brought home to people you could have sports in a documentary style, tell the truth, but you know, relate the two of them together and still say something new and make it relevant. Um, and that was wonderful. But I have to disagree with you um, because you said that when you do these documentaries, you already know the ending. Well, I saw Champs and it's not an ending. you left it open. And because of that documentary, a lot of things are going to change. So, you know, you may think it's one way, but you're actually opening the door to another. And I think that just shows the world just how big sports are and can be for everyone.
3: So I was being, I was oversimplifying a little when we talked, Champs is not a, a film we made. Um, and I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that specifically. But, I mean, I think, you know, I, when I say you know the ending, I, I, I guess um, um, I, I, I mean more generally uh, um, we know where we're taking the story. Now, if you, if you, if you have that spine and you're, and you're trying to stay true to, to that through line, then the hope is that, that you're working with really talented directors... Are going out and throwing themselves into it, and 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 surprising you along the way, like um, the bad bastards baseball right? And 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 so, you know, you have to clearly if, if you if you're doing, um, um, you know, if you're working with a director who who finds that the story is going so, you have to be flexible, right? You have to be open to the conversation. And um, so I, w- I was sort of being a little provocative when I said that because it's it's very different than a verite film, but you have to be open-minded throughout the process of, okay, well, we thought it was this, but clearly we need to trust that, that the person making the movie wants to take it over here.
2: I uh,
0: wonder, uh, there's a huge, uh, I mean, billions of people who follow uh, soccer. Yeah. I wonder why there's no great movies about soccer.
2: It's really hard to film soccer. I've tried filming it. Uh, it it's just—it's—it's it's hard. You know, I've thought because I love soccer. I've thought about doing so, something from a dramatic standpoint about uh, soccer, and it—it it, 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 there's such a, a a flow to soccer, a, a gentle flow that suddenly has this you know this moment of intensity. Where, but you know, ninety percent of a soccer game not a lot happens, and there's a randomness to it. Hockey, similar problems, but soccer even more. Uh, it, it's it's a hard film, it's a hard sport to film, you know, in my opinion, unless you do something really stylized. There's a, Guy Ritchie did a really cool soccer commercial that I don't know if anybody ever saw, I think yeah. it was for Nike. very stylized, intense, um, uh, you know, cool piece, but you couldn't really sustain a film that way. And, you know, despite, um, you know, for, for an American audience and, uh, you know, soccer like, you know, Ron Howard just made a, f- a phenomenal movie about F1 racing and America sort of rejected that concept, you know, despite the popularity of that sport. Soccer generally, I mean, you have to go back to, was it Victory with Stallone and Pele? And, I mean, <laughs> you but know. Next, but you just did next,
4: um, next score wins. And, you know, although it's not all soccer and stuff, it has, it's shot.
3: Is that a thirty for thirty? Next I don't know. I don't know what that is. We're, I mean, we're in the middle right. Like literally, right now, we're in, we're in the middle of airing a series called Thirty for Thirty Soccer Stories. Um, uh, as you know, the the, with the World Cup coming, we 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 wanted to to take the time to sort of tell what we thought were important international soccer stories. Um, l- largely because we we had had so much success with with the two Escobars. We we also we bought a, a documentary. Or five years ago, um, called "Once in a Lifetime" about the New York Cosmos, which is one of the best documentaries you, you'll ever see. Um, and uh, uh, you know, we, we aired a we aired a doc two weeks ago now um, called Hillsborough, made by an incredibly talented uh, British filmmaker named Daniel Gordon, which which I, I, I would put up there with with the best things we as a network have ever put on the air. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to, to, to tell stories set in the world of, of international soccer. And I, and I think we're, we're, you know, I, I hope we're succeeding at it.
2: Hi. Uh, two baseball movies I want to mention and then a question. So, Major League um,
3: is my favorite baseball movie. And, and at the end, the Indians win, they, they win the World Series, they beat the Yankees. And then Moneyball, which is
2: more modern film. Right. Oakland loses. So, my question is when you're, when you're thinking about telling a story about a sports team and they lose, what, what goes through your mind? It's like, well, what's the next story that you want to tell when they lose? Uh, are, you, are, you, are you asking me? Because in Friday Night Live, they obviously lose, right? Uh, you know, and it, it was interesting because we, we designed, the, Reality Friday night's was a book and the, the Permian Panthers lost that game, you know So one of the great one of the things I was so attracted to is the, the The idea of, of loss I mean 99% of teams lose right and only one win everybody else loses and you know that the, the, the Complexities of handling loss and how to you know how young men and their parents handle that kind of loss when the stakes are so high you know, I, th- I thought it was—it's very interesting, and I, that was something I embraced. And I, I find the, the psychology of uh, you know being able to handle yourself with grace and being able to pull yourself together and pick yourself back up, and all those—I find that you know kind of endlessly fascinating. But um, when we were doing the test screenings for Friday Night Lights, you know, where you bring an audience like you guys in, and the studio's all there, and we're in the back, and we're showing the movie, and you know. The audience is going to rate the movie great. and as a filmmaker, suddenly you're at the mercy of, you know, just basic er- someone could be like, you know Billy Bob Thornton sucks
0: <laughs>
2: and suddenly it's like, you're, you know, oh, this direction sucks and, like, you know, and there's another director coming and like, so you're nervous and the final game was going on and, and the audience was like, they're going to win, they're going to win they're going to win, and then they come up short and this one woman just stood up and said, what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> just fucking bullshit and, and you could see the audience we just not used to that the expectation is right and so I was like oh god <laughs> and I went out after the movie was over I went outside they were getting ready to do the focus group and Stacey Schneider who's a good friend of mine she was the president of Universal a very cool woman but a boss strong she walked out. I was in the parking lot, and I heard her heels, you know, and I saw her. She was coming at me. She's like, I think it played well. I'm like, yep. I'm like ignoring that this woman had just right, done this. And she said, look, do uh, you have any thoughts? I'm like, no. I, I think we're good. She's like, you know, if, if the ball just goes two feet further and they score, we'll probably make like $30 million more. LAUGHTER <laughs> and I'm like, "Stay." She goes, "I know. I'm just saying. I'm saying I love celebrating loss and exploring the psychology of loss, Peter. But we make thirty more million dollars if they just win." Uh, and to her credit, I'm like, "Come on, don't, let's not do that." And, and Buzz would have gone insane, by the way, which would have been terrifying. But and
1: just you know you'll make it up at some, with some other
2: movie which you wound up doing anyway so the... sort of I mean yeah we <laughs> them I, win in the, uh, what, the, the in end the, of the f- first in the TV, season in of the, the TV show, show right. they won right. we were very yeah. so we well, were you... very clear that they were going to win and, and, and I, look, I like winning don't get me wrong I'm a big fan of winning I'm all for it but there was something you know the book, I think one of the reasons the book was so unique was that they, they lost so we
1: have time for one more question so,
2: it's
1: a lot of questions. It's a lot
2: of questions. <laughs> Who's got a good one? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you got?
4: Does she have the
2: microphone? Yes. you like
4: a social worker or a counselor?
2: Not really. I mean, I was a. I was a pardon me? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we were just talking and got caught up in a conversation, and something occurred to me that this could have maybe been the greatest sports dynasty in the history of any sport if they had just, but he he broke it up. And they would have, you know, he said they would have won 11 Stanley Cups. I mean, what franchise has ever won 11 one group of players? And so it suddenly has, it occurred to me that, you know, he must be tormented by this, and I don't think he would probably take exception to the word torment, but it certainly is something that weighs heavy. So one more mic question. Right, so one of the things I find great about 30 for 30 is it gives perspective to
1: old stories. But that also makes me curious, what current sports stories do you think in 10 years will be great 30 for 30 films?
3: Whoa. Um, so I mean I you know I, I I think one of the one of the great things about doing this series at ESPN I mean it, it's truly a luxury is that is that we are connected to uh, and I think it's one of the luxuries of, of of probably of writing for Grantland that that we're connected to this incredible news and information organization that is telling stories every single day of everything that's happening so so. You, you, you get the privilege of picking and choosing and being able to say, well, well, well we're not going to cover this because we're going to wait and we're going to see what, what this actually meant. Um, you know, it's so... I mean, I don't even know where to begin with a, a guess on that. Um, um, I don't know. What, do, you, do you have a perspective or <laughs> something? I'll put it right back at you.
2: How many people have 30 for 30 ideas right now? <laughs>
1: You're fucked. <laughs> no, well, I mean,
2: yeah, that's a good
3: one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. One. Right. So, I mean, so the way, right, so we always try to attack those things from from right the story perspective. How do we find the journey of one kid who who does something that you know, we may not even realize it may have already happened that tips the balance towards um, um, profound change, right? And and so, you know, when, when you can when you can let five or ten years go by and you can look back on that and you can say, oh, wait a second, when when um, um, you know there was a there was a great real sports piece about Ed O'Bannon in that space, right? Of of, of you know his his ongoing pursuit against the the NCAA, like where you can say, okay, well, well, we may not have gotten it at the time, but what was going on here was this journey that 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 changed everything. Those are the those are the exact stories we we want to we want to tell, and and y- you know the the you didn't realize it at the time is sort of the key point of that, right? Because because the stuff that's obvious to us now and we're all talking about um, becomes somehow less interesting. Um, It's the things where you go, oh, okay, I never thought of it that way when when we've really done our job right.
1: Well, thanks for coming. (laughs) Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Connor.